from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Clarity Townsend's episode on our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode, so if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The links to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So, Christine. So, JP. We have been talking about how Vela is going, and we have been talking about how we are producing, you are producing way more than me on a week-to-week basis. What are you doing Or what should you be doing to make sure that you are able to keep this schedule and still keep your sanity? Oh, boy. That's a good question. Because honestly, I've been questioning myself lately about how sustainable this is with the day job, which has been really busy. So it's not like I can write during the day job. Um, And then doing two serials, two episodes a week. So, you know, it's about... 6,000 plus words a week, right? So it's been a lot. I mean, it helps having a co-writer. That helps. Uh, But some of the things that I've been thinking about is wrapping up one of the serials and just continuing on with another one because that does feel more sustainable. But yeah, like the burnout is real. Sometimes I'm even like, (laughs) what am I doing and how am I going to continue doing this? One of the things that has been helpful is uh, that I do have an accountability group which is members from my real life writing group Mm -hmm. and we meet uh two to three times a week so two times one week and three times alternating weeks so i don't have an excuse i do have to sit down for an hour and a half two to three times a week and write so that is helpful yeah and it's a lot yeah and uh, how I'm not done with you. Oh, okay. I'm not done with you, Missy. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> no, so there's another piece to this too, though, because like you just mentioned, like you're planning on wrapping up one of them as a potential. And I think part of that was, you know, marketing is also a really big part of getting yourself out there if you want to make Vela like work for you. Um, you know, there are some people that maybe they don't have to, but I know that you're taking the route as am I like to market those episodes. And you tested out this past month, really just focusing on one of them and finding out if that's like a viable way of shifting the the focus on this one, Vela, if I will then get more traction on this one and being able to kind of let that other one fall off. How how is that been like from your perspective actually that strategy does seem to be working i feel like i was splitting my readership before and i wasn't sure because i'm like well one's horror and one's sci-fi so how am i splitting my readership but i think uh with the social accounts and the efforts it, it is confusing um what do i read where do i go so i do feel like focusing on one serial has been beneficial. I did make more money last month than I did the month before, and I did rank higher uh, than I ever have before. So it'll be interesting to see this month if that trend continues. But I do feel like you can spread yourself too thin. And I do feel like by focusing just on one serial, it's a more consistent branding, more consistent message to my audience and on socials. And that's a, that has seemed to be a, a strategy that has worked out 
so far. So I'm going to continue to monitor that. Yeah. I almost wonder um, if there's a way, you know, like the Netflix model of, you know, we, we put out this season here and then we wait and, you know, we work on this other season. Like you could almost do it a uh, swap as a potential if you didn't want to end one. But I do think that there, when I heard you talk about that and I heard you talk about like the potential to, like focus on one of them really hard and start to let the other one kind of tie up and, and end. Um, that was an interesting strategy and, and it seems to be working out for you. And I know that there are some people out there who are, you know, seven plus Vela's in. Um, and I'm just curious how they're doing. And I would love to hear from them. And if they're thinking about maybe doing that, like hone in and focus in. Yeah, I would love to hear from other Vela authors about that too. What do you feel is working for you? One serial or promoting multiple? How yeah. has that been? Yeah. Definitely. And don't get burnt out. Stop it. What are you doing? Don't get burnt out. Yeah. yeah. Great, <laughs> yeah. great question. Great question. So, JP. So, Christine. Let's talk about pro writing. And you know what, what I want to talk about today? What? The integrations. Because the number of integrations it has is insane. You can integrate it with MS Word and Outlook, Google Docs, Scrivener, OpenOffice, Final Draft. And it has so many browser extensions, Chrome, Firefox, Edge, Safari, whatever you're using. It can check your writing on websites, your social media, Facebook, Twitter, and mm -hmm. Wattpad. That's crazy. So, yeah. Wherever you're writing, the writing game is there. I don't know. Yeah, no, I just made I, <laughs> you did. That was a choice. Um, <laughs> I really like the the integration feature. I really like. I've used it for Microsoft Word. I've used it for Google Docs. I have, I have it. I think as like an integration on on some device that basically lets it show on my social media as well. I think Chrome. Um, and I really like it because it's like a just. Uh, hey, are you sure you want to use this? It could be like grammar or it could be the way that I worded something. And I just like having that little last line of defense whenever I want it and mm -hmm. being able to use it in Microsoft Word, Google Docs and Scrivener. Like those are great game changers for writers because yeah. you don't have to go into Pro Writing Aid's app to use it. You could if you wanted to, but you can use it in whatever like system you are writing in, which is yeah. fantastic. That is the best. And you can use it right in there and it will ask you and you can actually change it. So if it's like, oh, do you actually want to say, you know, I don't Michigan University. And you can say, no, I want to say University of Michigan and you can put it in there and it will learn. So next time mm -hmm. that will come up for you and it'll be like, okay, that's cool. That's the way that you want to say it. So I love that you can teach it too. Yeah. That's, it's just so much fun. I enjoy using it. It is my last line of defense. Yeah. So go so, check it out. Pro Writing Aid. And you can use our discount code Serial20, S-E-R-I-A-L 20 to get a 20% discount. So I just wanted to start off uh, talking about your hook. Come home with me to Sweden, please. Alexander begged over the phone. Uh, you know, he's not accustomed to graveling, but he says for mercy, he'd be down on his knees in an instant. So right off the bat, I'm ready to push Mercedes out of the way and get on that plane to Sweden instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think that 
doesn't it give you a really big clue into how mercy is here she has she has this heartthrob hunk like begging her and she still holds to her guns like that is how strong a woman she is that's how strong a character it she is she is not your pushover damsel in distress no she is definitely one that is she knows what she wants she's gonna go for what she wants and she is going to get what she wants because she demands it (laughs) i think as women we have to be that way we have to demand what we expect from relationships because if not people will take advantage of us so um yeah i think and i and i think that is what really attracts alex to mercy is that he really is just really drawn to that fire in her and that feistiness and that like he has to work for it (laughs) so what was your process in coming up with this hook of this unyielding man begging his presumed girlfriend to come with him um so it just felt it felt right because it's kind of it goes back to how the story originally started. Um, it originally started with um, Mercy really, well, we have that flashback, right? And then we kind of, in the later in the later episodes, um, probably in like episode two or three, we get into already um, Alex explaining how he kind of, was really hesitant about getting into a relationship with her early on. And Mercy was really adamant about like, either you're my boyfriend or leave (laughs) kind of situation. Like, I don't have time to play games. I want to be in a relationship with you. So if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, I'm moving on. And so the original start, it showed everything, all that stuff, all that back and forth, her going out on a date with her ex-boyfriend and Alex finding out and him just being like completely jealous and pissed off. But she's like, um, well, you don't want to be my boyfriend. So I guess I don't give a shit, you know, (laughs) how you feel. (laughs) Um, so that is how that started. Cause that is Alex. Like he is just like, okay, he wanted it. He wanted it his way, but mercy was like, you're not going to have it your way. Either you do things like this, either we're in a relationship or we're not in a relationship and you're not going to like string me along and just kind of have me on the back burner until you're ready, you know? So when you're ready, you come tell me, (laughs) but until then I'm going to live my life. And so that is kind of their, that was kind of their, initial dynamic so starting it like that and showing Alex to be like this really strong man but that with mercy he knows he can't string along and he kind of has because he's a very he's very dominant like he is like um I would say so if we're getting into like power dynamics I would say that most of them the characters the male leads and Mercy are what you would consider a switch in the BDSM com- uh, community. Um, and as you know, like things like that, like being a switch, being a dominant, being a submissive, those things don't turn off when you're not in the bedroom. Those things carry out through your entire life. You know, that is your 
how you view relationships, how your power dynamics, how you prefer to live your life. So um, Mercy is definitely a switch and she is kind of medium lying with kind of a tendency in the bedroom to be um, submissive, but in, you know, in the outside the bedroom, she wants to have that equal relationship that, you know, she doesn't want to be dominated. She wants to be equal. Whereas Alex is pretty much way, way leaning towards the dominant spectrum of a switch. Um, And then you'll see later on in the other, um, later on in the series, the other male leads, how they kind of lean one way or another, kind of more in between. Um, So you have Alex, who's this very dominant man. And then you have Mercy, who is also dominant in her day-to-day life she has to be you know she's been a star since she was 15 years old she has had to learn to grow up and take charge unless and you know in order to not be taken advantage of um so she is definitely a dominant personality and i think you can see how where she gets that dominant kind of personality when you hear her mom and how her mom is like you know my way or the highway type of you know <laughs> woman so I think you kind of see how she has been raised to have that take no shit attitude and Alex knows that so he and he loves her so he knows that if he is going to have a chance with her he's gonna have to put a little damper on his dominant ways and you know kind of bend and a little bit without having obviously breaking and do you know do a little groveling sometimes mercy's worth it <laughs> to him so yeah i think it was just a natural place to start the story and to you know this time around <laughs> of course right. i was looking through my like um drive and i was looking at all the old uh incarnations of the story i'm like oh my god that's how that started huh wow this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> so when when we looked at this scene as kind of a closed unit and um, really the the scene is uh alex is trying to get her to go to sweden period uh mm-hmm. when we looked at it in the term of like a theme or an armature that comes through uh we noticed that if we were to make that a statement it would be that sometimes the only thing holding us back are ourselves and we mm-hmm. need to take that leap of faith to go to the next level even if our own mothers make that leap for us. Right. Uh, So is that a theme that's going to carry out through the, the series? Yeah, definitely. Um, And and it's funny because Alex is usually the one that pushes all those kind of changes. I think readers are kind of readers see Alex a certain way in book one. And I, I think sometimes I have to explain, and it's definitely something that I will point out, that the reason why he is the way he is in book one is because their relationship is in a rocky place. He's insecure. And once he he becomes very secure in his relationship with Mercy, where he is like sure that there's nothing that can really break them, is when these kind of really jealous kind of behavior and different things like that falls to the wayside. Because he's comfortable, you know, and that's something I always explain to people. Jealousy has a root. There's usually a reason behind it. Um, Sometimes that reason is just that somebody is very insecure and it has nothing to do with you. You know, sometimes you can do things 
to alleviate their insecurities. And sometimes you can't. And with those people, then you can't. Sometimes you have to wash your hands with them. But um, Alex, thankfully, is not one of those person people. So he has um, he has that kind of insecurity in book one, and rightfully so. I mean, their relationship is all over the friggin' place in book one. Um, but in book two, they're in a really great place. They've learned from the mistakes. They've grown this really solid relationship. And, um, you will see him do certain things that you probably would not have thought Alex would do. And even surprises the hell out of mercy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but Alex is the catalyst for a lot of things. He pushes them. He is definitely the driver of their future destiny together. He is the one that drives them on the path that they go down starting book two. Mm -hmm. And back on this, this first scene uh, with the protagonist being mercy and the want being Alex more or less, like she mm -hmm. just wants him um, and her need. It really in this scene is to accept Alex's offer. Right. And, then when you look at the antagonist, it's, it's basically herself. She's the blockade. She's the she reason. Is. And it's either through this fear of leaving her mother, who has this diagnosis of cancer, or actually meeting Alex's parents. But when mm -hmm. we talk about these character wants and needs and character construction, what does that process look like for you? Um, okay, so, so you know I don't plan. Mm -hmm. Honestly, um, and this is funny because even people people have even said like even my side characters are very well developed and um which then leads them to be like oh uh can we have a book with this person <laughs> and i'm like no just stop it <laughs> all my characters are really developed because when i think of them they tell me their entire story their entire lives they will tell me things that probably are not even relevant but when you ask me, ask me where this person came from, even if he's a side character, even if he's a waiter, I just, I don't know. I can't tell you how the process works. Um, Sometimes, you know, some people in my neck of the woods like to call it some kind of like divine thing where maybe you're channeling somebody in real life or things like that. I don't know. Okay. I'm off. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence with that one. But I definitely, my characters speak to me and they don't speak to me one dimensionally. They speak to me as whole people. So it's very easy for me to just jump in there and give them, make them three dimensional people with, you know, wants and needs and different things like that. So I, I'm really no help for other writers. <laughs> Because I don't think my processes could be duplicated. Um, they just work for me. And that's all I can say. Um, but yeah, you're you're spot on. I'm so glad you guys picked those things up. Because I think, um, and of course, you guys are writers. So I think you think about those things. But most people don't. So that's, that's lovely. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Mercy is definitely, she is strong. You will see that continue. Um, oh man, uh, watch out for maybe uh, probably like five or six chapters in. You're gonna see her do something that you guys are gonna be like, What are you doing, Mercy? No, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> but she has to do what she has to do, it's her process, and she's not gonna kind of strain 
stray from it. And then I think in the long run, care not only do the characters like Alex learn understand that it was necessary for her to do what she does, um, but even the readers come to find that Marcy had to work through her things the way she had to work through them. And um, in the long run, it was for the best, even if it causes some pain or heartache initially. Um, in the long run, she had to do what she had to do for herself. And I think that goes along with her being a strong character. Sometimes we have to make tough decisions um, and stand up for what we need at the time in order to be better in relationships, just kind of get ourselves together and um, get to a place where we can be in healthy relationships. And Mercy recognizes that she couldn't be, she had to work on herself. She had some needs that she didn't feel she could accomplish in relationships at the time. So um, yeah, I think you'll continue to see that she is usually fighting herself in a lot of instances and um, kind of trying to figure out what she needs as opposed to what she wants at the time. Um, or sometimes it's what she wants as opposed to what she needs. So yeah, that's something that's definitely going to continue. It's just something that's um, a part of who she is as a person. Excellent. So speaking of needs, for writers out there that want to include more uh, behind closed doors romance in their work, what goes into writing the perfect sex scene? I think it's a balance of, you know, getting the emotions right in the scene, as well as like the descriptions, because you have to look at a scene in every single sense, taste, smell, you know, visually, everything because that's how we experience our world right so we have to do that for the reader we have to paint that picture you can't just you know go in there and oh the mechanics and all that no there has to be like she's feeling this and he's feeling that and it's all culminating into this and yeah you have the mechanics of it but you have to get that feeling because that's what really drives the reader. Um, if we just wanted mechanics, right, we'd all just go pull up porn. <laughs> right? I mean, let's just let's just put that out there. If we wanted just the, to watch people do it, we'd go pull up a porn on t on you know the internet. It's very easy to do. Um, what erotic writing does is it gives you the feeling. It gives you the emotion along with the mechanics. So I think what writers really need to do is take the time out to don't rush through the scene. Those scenes are probably, I've come to hate writing them, maybe because I think I I wrote them so much and then I burnt out. So like now my favorite scenes aren't those scenes. Like those scenes take me like days to write now, like before they were like flying out of me, but I'm like, Oh my God, now I've written so many of them. I'm like, where, what, what can I do that's new? <laughs> Let's go to space. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> at this point, I'm like, how can I make this scene different? And I think that's probably something more, this says something more about me 
than it does the reader because obviously they've read a lot of the readers have read thousands i'm sure they've repeatedly read situations but it's still hot to them whereas for me i'm like i just don't want them to repeat i don't want to repeat anything but that's like impossible like there's only so many things you can do right <laughs> so basically the same damn thing going on so um yeah that's the that is something that i will would recommend is you know it's and especially when you're getting into like um multiple partners that's when it gets really tricky to kind of ride that sensual that uh line between sensuality and raunchy um you kind of and there is a line like they want a little bit of that raunch but they also want it to be sensual so you kind of have to um yeah, you have to finesse your way through a scene. Um, I just had another erotic romance writer read my novel, Faded Dreams, and she did um, compliment me on the threesome scene there. And um, I'm like, well, honey, <laughs> I started writing, <laughs> you know, years ago that I've been writing, you know, menage scenes that's my bread and butter <laughs> you know so menage scenes come very easily to me um but i guess she's like well a lot of writers really don't do it very well and i don't like it when they i don't like reading them because they kind of suck and <laughs> she's like and they're kind of just like raunchy and there's no you know feeling involved or sensuality and i'm like yeah I'm sure it's like that, but I don't know how to write it any other way <laughs> than how I write it. So um, I really think that that is something that we writers need to um, focus on is kind of giving the reader that sensuality, but still keeping it fun, you know, and not getting too flowery and like, you know, start calling things her rose petal or something like that. That's oh, I love that. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I use some very dirty words in my writing. And um, and I know, and you know, you can't please everyone because some people just don't like words. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, it's, that's where you have to kind of you separate, you know, you can't learn, you can't oh. please everybody. Um, but I use some words that people don't, might not like. I use the C word and I don't care. Okay. <laughs> if you don't like it, don't use it. Don't read it. But um, people don't, you know, it's just, it gets very hard to describe genitalia without being repetitive and not using super disgusting flowery terms for things because who the hell? talks like that in real life. <laughs> uh, old tutors. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is not like the 1800s or anything like that. Or, you know, this is modern day literature and people don't want all that flowery mess in their erotic romance. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so. Speaking of literature, you run an erotic book club. Can you I tell do. us a can you tell us a little more about that and what you've maybe learned about having this communal book club? So, oh God, they have, at first I was actually a member myself and I had them, excuse me, read my stories and give me feedback. It's more of a writer's circle than it is a traditional, you know, um, book club. 
So it started on Wattpad and it's it, that is still where it lives. And what we do is we help novice writers kind of, you know, perfect their craft or give them feedback on their stories, really in-depth things like what they can change um, and different things like that to make their story stronger. And I mean, we've had some great writers come out of it. Um, we've had a lot of them go traditional published. We've had a lot of them, you know, go and indie publish successfully. And we've had um, some of them even win Wadi Awards, which is, you know, Wattpad's like huge yearly annual award to kind of pick the best out of the best. So, um, and we've just, the, some of the, the people that I've met there probably like the first year have become some of my best friends in the writing community. And um, even till this day, they're just like great people. So it's been a wonderful experience. And now like for the last couple of years, we have, my co-host and I have not been participating in critiques or anything like that. We kind of facilitate now more than anything. We just don't have the time. I especially don't have the time. Um, but we kind of facilitate this, you know, group of writers to give each other critiques. And not only that, but then like our um, our Wattpad pay, our Wattpad profile has grown. So they get readers. Like um, we have usually, we have to turn down a lot of writers. We've become a little more um, exclusive uh, before we were taking anybody. Now we've been able to kind of pick and choose and kind of find those writers that are really looking to grow in the craft and not just looking for reads. Um, because a lot of times it was like, oh, you know, we're going to get on this profile. They're going to post our book and it's going to get a bunch of reads, but they really don't care in making their book better. So um, we have just been trying to find people that really want to grow in their craft. And I think we have helped a lot of people kind of work their way through their stories and become better writers in the long run. And it's just, it feels so good to kind of give back to that community because that's the community that got me to where I am now. So um, that's why I still do it because I don't really write on Wattpad anymore. Um, every once in a while, I'll run a rough draft through there for free until I take it down to get, you know, paid for it <laughs> for writing. But um, uh, I just can't afford to keep giving them free work when my work is worth being paid for <laughs> right now. So um, back when I was not worth paying for it, definitely put up everything and they helped me grow. So this is kind of our my way, especially of giving back to that community and helping them if they aspire to, you know, become a published author, either with a publishing company, indie, however they want to go about and do that, but getting, helping them get their work to that level. Yeah. JP and I are big fans of community, author communities. We talk about it all the time. So whoever's yeah. listening, find yourself a good author community. It's worth its weight in gold. <laughs> it really is. I mean, who can commiserate more with you than another writer? Nobody understands the process besides another writer. Readers don't mm -hmm. understand. Your family doesn't understand. Only writers understand. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of communities, you also facilitate uh, clubhouse evenings to introduce readers to Bella authors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, it's funny because um, David, who is the lead of the Kindovella Storytellers um, Instagram page, um, I don't, it was so random how I got pulled into that clubhouse one day. <clears throat> and it's just kind of taken off from there. And then David came to a, me and a few others um, and asked us if we would co-host with him and help run the Kindovella Storytellers Clubhouse. Um, so now we have been, what we want to do is eventually create a place where it's a lot of readers in the clubhouse and they're coming to listen and learn, you know, about authors where, so it's something that they can help promote their work. Um, we're not there yet. I think it's mostly a, uh, it's mostly a platform thing. A lot of people don't know about Clubhouse yet. And then getting people on there to try it. It's like, ugh, I already have so much social media. Here's another social media. You know what I mean? So people are a little hesitant to jump on Clubhouse. And um, I think the way Clubhouse is marketed in general, it's marketed more kind of like, it feels more like a networking site as opposed to a site where fans would be, you know, to catch up on their latest author or something like that, you know? So I think it's, we're having kind of like a little bit of a, educational kind of um, boundary, your barrier, so to speak, with getting readers onto the site. But even so, like our, even if we only have a room of like five people or six people, it's so much fun. Um, you know, I think the writer or so far the writers have said that they've enjoyed themselves. Um, we have, you know, some, some of the other co-hosts like, um, are just so great at asking questions and stuff like that of the writer. And uh, it's been really fun. So we were, we do have like an open call to writers who want to be featured and talk, come and talk about their story. Um, they just have to get in touch with us. They can email us at storytellers at gmail.com and, you know, tell us that they want to be featured and which story, and we will try to schedule them. Right now, we are on a break for the holiday, so we won't be doing author interviews until, any more author interviews until next year in January. Sometime we will start back up, but I think all of us kind of need a break. It's a lot of work. As you know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of legwork that goes into it. I've been doing a lot of the legwork when it comes to, you know, scheduling authors and stuff like that, whereas, you know, the other guys kind of take more of a lead in the room and asking questions and leading up and interviewing the author. So I do a lot of more of the um, scheduling the authors, making sure they give us the information we need, making sure they have the information they need, scheduling the rooms, things like that. But um, yeah, we kind of just all work together and, you know, we do it because, you know, we want to help out and um, help the writer community none of us obviously gets paid to do this we take our free time um, and you know work with authors to kind of push their and hope that they get something out of it it might not I don't I think right now it's not they're not getting much out of it yet but we hope in the future that it becomes a place that you know writers really want to come because they see a value in um, interviewing with us because it's going to increase their their sales. That's where we want to get to eventually.
So you have used other platforms for your serial fiction, like Radish mm-hmm. and Wattpad. Can you tell us the differences you've noticed in audiences and any other experiences that you've had with these other platforms? Oh, yeah. The audience is completely... So this is what I always tell people who are new to serial writing. Wattpad is a free site. Um, there, one of the other free sites that's pretty popular is Inkit. I've been on both. You're going to have a hard time converting those readers to paid readers. Most of the people that read on free sites is because they can't afford to pay for reading. So if you're on a free site and you're hoping to build a huge audience that's going to make you rich in the future, you are likely barking up the wrong tree. Um, While Wattpad now has paid books, that is something that's fairly recent. The platform is historically free. So you still have a lot of readers that don't pay and don't want to pay to read on that platform. Whereas when you go into a paid site, this is where you really need to be. You need to be on a paid site. Those readers they, while you're not, you're not going to convert everybody from a serial reader to a traditional ebook reader, but they are so loyal. If you get serial readers on your side, a lot of times they will follow you anywhere. And I've seen this on other sites. Um, I'm on a, a few other sites that I choose not to promote because I just choose, um, I'm not too happy with the way they uh, acquire writers or how they pay writers. But Radish is one that I will put my name behind um, as well as Vela. And, um, but I've seen on these other sites, these authors that had no readership, no, that have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of readers that follow them absolutely anywhere that are like obsessed with them, you know, and they've built like this, huge, huge paid following. Um, And that is definitely possible on serial sites. So I just caution, um, especially when it comes to Vela, I caution people because a lot of people coming from Vela are not coming from a serial background. They're coming from traditional books. And you a lot of times it's a lot harder to um, transform traditional readers into serial readers than it is transforming serial readers into traditional readers because we've all read traditionally through our whole lives, right? So it's not anything that's entirely new. Whereas serial reading, we're not used to that. So getting those people to jump ship and cross over and you know give serial reading a try is a lot more difficult. So you end up having to build a lot of times you end up having to build an entirely new readership and audience with serial readers and you have to you know then cater to your traditional readers too which you can entirely do on vela and on radish because neither of them um require exclusivity to post on their platform then you can you know post your stuff, an ebook, paperback, whoever, for your traditional readers. So I just th- I just think it's a smart idea. I mean, serial writing is big money once you get 
digging in. And this is money that you can make on your rough drafts. You know, they, a lot of serial readers don't really, they kind of know what they're in for. They kind of expect it not to be super polished. So like once writers get hip to where you can actually get paid for writing your rough draft, why not do it, right? Like it makes all the sense in the world. It's kind of foolish not to serial write when you can be getting paid for a story before you're even ready to get paid for it. Um, and that's not saying that you should put out drivel. I'm, you know, I am a firm believer that you shouldn't make people pay for something that is not well-written or is really sloppy or, you know, has a ton of errors, but, um, Serial readers are a little more open to, okay, this, this story is maybe not completely polished, you know? Um, and I think that that is like the big differences that I've seen, you know, with Wattpad and is just that kind of, you know, once you start getting into um, paid, you need to start putting a little more effort behind it, which you should. I mean, people are paying for paying you money they work hard for this money even if you're only seeing a few pennies of it that doesn't mean they didn't pay you know like 30 bucks to read through your cereal you know that's a lot of money to read one story and they deserve to have something that is not like littered with errors like to the point where it's almost unreadable so um I yeah those whereas if you jump into Wattpad you see a lot of that <laughs> but hey they're getting it for free so you know I don't expect everybody to you know take the time out um, I think that starts becoming something that is personal for the writer and their reputation do they want to be a, a you know have a reputation of being a writer that is messy and sloppy and puts out sloppy work or do they want to have a reputation of putting out the best work that they can put out but um, you see that motivation a lot less on WAP, on free sites like Wattpad and Inkit than you do on um, sites, you know, paid sites, of course. So um, you start, you kind of have to dig for the gems in the rough on Wattpad and places like that. Whereas not as hard on paid sites because <laughs> most people have their stuff together on paid sites. For the most part. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So as a final question, do you have any other writing plans in the works or that you're dreaming up? Um, I, I have always really wanted to kind of go the hybrid route of being like traditional published as well as indie published. Um, I think that's gonna ha take a lot of overcoming my own insecurities. I'm, I have horrible, horrible imposter syndrome. So like, I really struggle with seeing anything as good, no matter how much time it's never good enough for me. <laughs> so it's kind of been overcoming that hurdle and that, that, and I'm also a huge control freak when it comes to my work and giving up control really scares the crap out of me and <laughs> so I have that is something that I am trying to work through but I would like to 
test out traditional publishing just for the fact that they're paying for the editing. <laughs> editing is very expensive if you want a good editor. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, that's, I think, what I'm working towards. I don't know if I found the story that I want to pursue that with, but that is definitely the hopes for the future is that I can get some stuff traditional published kind of to fund my indie projects, if anything, you know, to be able to get that money to do what I want with stories that I really um, need the creative control behind. Um, I th So I've gone back and forth with Our Love. Um, I had thought that I wanted to traditional publish it. And then I'm like, well, what if they make me change this? This is really important to my story. What if they make me change that? That's really important to the story. I don't want to change that. I don't want them to touch this. But I I know logically that if I were to send it out into that world, they might be like, okay, no, you have to change this. And then I don't have a choice but to change it. So we'll see. <laughs> that is my, I am just slowly trying to build my readership it is hard. Um, you know, my biggest downfall is not writing good content. I don't think I think I write decent content that um, people will pay for and don't feel bad paying for after they pay for it. But it is um, marketing and having the time to do it all because I am, you know, a mother that three children, uh, a wife I have other relationships to you know nurture and then writing and then editing and <laughs> doing everything else you know indie writing is a huge 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 job and there, you, you get to the point where you realize there's only one of you you can't do it all and if you don't have the money to outsource some of those things you are going to kill yourself so right now I am kind of focusing on just writing and building up my backlog. Um, and while that's hard because, you know, writing and, you know, being successfully marketing and actually selling books helps you write more books because you can fund them. Um, I've just come to realize that I can't do it all. So like I'll market as much as I can, but right now the focus is trying to get these books done. I have like several started series that aren't finished. So um, I am focusing on finishing the faded series. Um, so that is the one with Confessions of the Vampires Made. I'm focused on finishing that up because that has, it's the main novel, Confessions of the Vampires Made, which is, which is kind of a prequel to the story. And then there is a book two that will finish off that series. Um, I have my little mini novella series, um, the polyamory novella series on Amazon, um, the taking series. I need to finish that. That still has at least one, maybe two more uh, stories in the work. I haven't decided yet. Um, definitely one more. Um, but uh, there might be another one. I want to finish that. So it's just kind of finishing these stories I think I've come to realize in my adult years that I'm I'm probably undiagnosed attention deficit so I am constantly jumping from project to project whatever like sparks my interest at the time 
but I know that could be frustrating for readers who really love something and they want to know what happens next. And you're like, and I'm like, well, I'm not into writing that right now and I can't force myself or you're going to get drivel. So um, I'm going to move here and then I'll come back to this later. But I do need to finish those. And that has been my goal is to finish those series. Um, our love to finishing that final, this final rewrite has been something on my back burner for a very long time. Um, Vela and Radish have given me the motivation to finally get that done. Um, especially with, uh, we're not going to lie, the Vela, you know, um, bonuses help a lot. <laughs> I'm hoping that um, it will fund, if I do plan to um, indie publish it, that it will fund my editor because I love her and she deserves every penny that she charges. And I really want to pay her <laughs> to edit that series so that I can publish it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's my, that is my goals. Finishing stuff that I've started um, before starting anything absolutely new and uh hopefully maybe delving into traditional publishing a little bit. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Our thanks today to Clarity Townsend for letting us break down their episode. We want to thank you for listening to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on the episode on our website serialfictionshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, we have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early. We also have tons of other things in the works. So check us out at patreon.com slash serialfictionshow. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And, and that's, that's a wrap. A wrap. So, uh, so, do let me know though if you write a zero g sex scene because I want to read yeah. that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> in space. Yes, we're going to space yet. Yes. You know how Jason, all the horror movies eventually end up in space. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our love in space. Our love our in love space. In space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no.